Welcome back to your therapy tools. My name is Elizabeth Choate. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified life coach as well. Welcome back to all of my wonderful subscribers. Thank you for the love and support. And welcome if it's your first time and your first episode. Today's topic is relationships. Working on relationships. Differentiating healthy from unhealthy relationships. And more. So let, I always want to emphasize, if you want to work on a relationship, make sure it's one worth working on. If you're in an unhealthy, toxic relationship, there is really no point. You will be like running on a treadmill and getting nowhere. <laughs> it's better to go take a jog in the forest and move and grow and get somewhere, right? So let's, let's talk about the different, the green flags of a healthy relationship and the unhealthy red flags of a relationship. With healthy love, the green flags have allowing for individuality. You're allowed to be yourself. You're allowed to be yourself and have your own life outside of the relationship. Does this mean that you're, you can go have sex with others? No, not necessarily. But it means that if you're into taking sewing classes, cooking classes, if you're into riding a motorcycle, whatever you're into that you like to do with your friends outside of the relationship, your partner's cool with it. They trust you because trust is a major component in a healthy relationship. And you would never break that trust by putting yourself in a position to be unfaithful. So you're allowed to be yourself if you're free-spirited and you love to dance all over the place. Even if they don't, they'll love you for it. They'll think that's a beautiful quality that you have. Um, those the Individuality is encouraged and respected and honored in each other. You bring out your partner's best qualities. So you bring out the best in each other. You accept endings. Sometimes relationships have to end. And it's not necessarily that they're toxic or abusive or unhealthy. Uh, maybe you're just not a good fit. Maybe you're super free-spirited and the other person is the exact opposite. And it just doesn't make for a good team. And that's okay. It doesn't mean either one of you are, are wrong or crazy. It just means maybe you're not a good fit. And you're adult enough to sit down with each other and say, you know, this isn't a good fit. We need to end this. But I do wish you the best. And I hope that we can remain friends. And likely you will remain friends. Distant friends. Um, you experience openness to change with each other. So as we grow and go through developmental phases throughout our life, we do change, we grow, and in a healthy relationship, you support that in each other, and you admire that in each other, and you grow together. It doesn't cause any strife in your relationship. You experience true intimacy. Into you I see. Intimacy. Um, you experience true intimacy. You you connect mind, body, and spirit with absolute unconditional love and trust. And there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no fear. Your attachment style is very secure when you are open and experiencing true intimacy with somebody. Uh, you'll find pleasure in giving and receiving. So it's a very balanced relationship. 
Your partner does not try to change you and you do not try to change your partner. Radical acceptance. This is different than fostering growth in each other. You may light a fire under each other's butts and be the ambition for the partner and say, you know, you've always wanted to do this. Now's your chance. Go do it. It'll be such a cool experience for you. That's different than trying to change somebody. If you're trying to change somebody, you know, think of the free-spirited one who dances and sings at random like life is a musical and you shut them down. You tell them, I don't like that. You look crazy. Stop. Or you can't wear that. Or you can't hang out with those people. Or I don't want you to work at that job anymore. I don't like it. Um, Don't try to change somebody. If you don't like them the way they are, don't be with them. So in a healthy relationship, we do not try to change each other. We don't control each other. We accept limitations of ourselves and our partner. We know that You're not Superman or Wonder Woman. We know that there are certain things you can and can't do, and we don't place majorly high expectations on you for our happiness. We do not seek unconditional love, and by that I mean you have to love me no matter what. You have to, if I cheat on you, you still have to love me and accept me. If I hurt you, if I get abusive, you still have to love me and accept me. Um, I, I can do whatever I want and you still have to love and accept me. That's not the kind of unconditional love that's healthy. The kind of unconditional love that's healthy is conditional love. <laughs> Because as long as there is trust, as long as there is good communication and support for each other, the love flows like a river effortlessly. But as soon as you start placing expectations, start trying to assert control and power, you start um, causing some trouble. And whenever trouble arises, that unconditional love now has conditions because There are boundaries, and we have to protect ourselves from getting hurt. We have to protect ourselves from traveling down a toxic road with another toxic person. So you can't expect unconditional love from somebody because essentially all love really is conditional. And the conditions, that's not a bad thing. The conditions are based on your boundaries, their boundaries, how well you fit how, how deep your intimacy is, where's the trust, you know, how much trust do you have, that kind of thing. So, um, you have individual high self-esteem. So you have built up your self-confidence and your self-esteem to a level that it was created by you and it is yours and nobody can take it away and your partner is in the same boat. You are both whole people who share the love and joy between you. You don't require outside validation to feel good about yourself, and neither do they. You trust the memory of your partner and they trust the memory of you. You know, if you sit down with your partner and say, you know, last week uh, you said something that kind of hurt my feelings, and your partner will look at you and say, oh no, that's the last thing I want to do. What did I say? And they tell you, and you say, you might not remember it, but you know that your partner has a good memory. And you say, okay, I believe you, and I'm very sorry that I said that. And in the future, I'll be 
you know, careful not to say stuff like that again. And not only that, but trusting the other person's memory in general. Um, accusing them of not remembering things correctly is gaslighting. So that's the opposite of healthy. So you trust your partner's memory, they trust yours. You can express your feelings spontaneously without fear of retribution, without fear of losing the relationship. You welcome affection and closeness. You don't shy away from it. You love your partner and they love you. And the kisses and the hugs and the hand across the small of the back when when they walk by, those kind of things just come naturally. And you both believe in equality. So you're both making sure that you work on the house together. You're both sitting down to create your budget. You're both discussing it before making a large purchase. Um, You both are equally important in the relationship and neither feels like they have to submit or take on the role of the power person or parent figure and take care of everything because it's equal. Here is unhealthy love and red flags. You feel consumed in the relationship. You have lost yourself entirely. You forgot who you are. You are now nothing more than this person's spouse. You're extremely afraid to let go of the relationship. Um, It's a toxic circle that you continue to run in in this relationship. You're continuously trying to fix it. You know deep down you should let go, but you're afraid to let go because what if you made a mistake? What if that was the one? Uh, If you're feeling at all all like you need to let go, um, that person's not the one. Um, You have excessive fear of risk or change. Anytime there's a change in your partner or anytime there's a change in you, um, you freak out, your partner freaks out. Why are you suddenly working out? What's going on? Who are you sleeping with? Why are you suddenly listening to country music? What? Oh, don't, I don't like these changes in you. I want you to be the same for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's kind of uh, illogical. There's little individual growth. You want to go ride your motorcycle. You want to go take a glass blowing, blowing class. You want to, you want to try new things, but your partner is like, no, you don't need to do that. You stay here with me. Um, and you're the same way with them. It's very toxic. There are a few truly intimate experiences. You know, maybe sexually they close their eyes and they don't even look at you. Maybe when you try to have a discussion with them, you can see that they're completely checked out and somewhere far, far away. They just, there's no connection. You don't feel a connection with them at all. And it's heartbreaking. You'll feel alone while sitting next to them. They play mind games with you, or you're playing mind games with them. You know, the gaslighting, the boomerang blaming. Um, They're unable to sit down and have an adult conversation about whatever issue you're having. And uh, instead, they play mind games with you. Or they could even go as far as to fake a suicide attempt, you know, like spilling pills all over the floor and writing a note and taking, like, two of the pills and then calling you and saying, I'm going to kill myself because you don't love me. And then you rush in in a panic, like, oh my God. And you rush them to the hospital and come to find out it was staged. Um, That's sick. 
they uh, try to get something by giving something to you. So maybe, maybe I buy you a gift or I give you a massage and I do it because I want something in return. That's not cool. Um, that's not healthy. <laughs> you, you give out of the kindness of your heart and to show your love. It's not so you get stuff back. Trying to change each other. That's self-explanatory. Needing others to feel secure and happy. And there's that seeking outside validation thing. You feel like if they are not validating you, if they are not praising you, if they're not putting you on a pedestal and telling you how great you are, then you must be a pile of shit. And you're insecure and you get paranoid and you start having all kinds of crazy thoughts that are not true. Someone who refuses to commit. You might live with them for 10 years, but they never ask you to marry them. Um, you might be married, but they refuse to treat you like you feel a wife should be treated. They repeatedly experience negative feelings. It's just, you wake up in the morning thinking, ah, you asshole. And you go throughout the day thinking, oh, these are all the reasons he's an asshole. <laughs> You go to bed at night, probably not even sleeping in the same bed, thinking, man, I hate that asshole. Um, or fearful feelings. You know, if I say anything, he's going to rip my head off. If I go out with the guys and play golf, she's going to destroy all my clothes while I'm gone. It's um, just negative feelings all around. Anger, fear, sadness. Being afraid of affection and closeness. So you're, you, you don't want to walk up and hug them freely like you used to because now it feels awkward for some reason. You don't want to try to initiate sex because if they reject you, the pain is so bad. The sting of rejection, ugh, it's awful. So you're afraid to try to get close and be affectionate. Um, they, care with, they care with excessive detachment. So it's like being obsessed. They're obsessed with you, but they're detached. They're not intimately attached to you. Frequent playing of power games. That's the whole control factor. Uh, you do what I say or else I'll leave you. If you don't give me what I want, I'll leave you. Um, if you go out with those friends, I'm going to show up and embarrass you. Um, you better put all your money on the table when you get paid it's mine um, all kinds of stuff goes into the power game thing and mental power games too they might use passive-aggressive covert narcissistic tactics to keep you subservient and looking to others for your own self-worth so now that we've gone through that it's important to remember that you know the so-called soulmate that's the person who brings out the best in you they're not perfect but you accept them for who they are and they may be, they seem like they're perfect for you and you for them. Okay, top relationship tips to increase happiness. Hug each other until you're relaxed. This could be a 10 second, 20 second, 30 second hug, but grab each other, full body hug, hang on tight, feel your hearts beat together. Just breathe in silence. Be mindful. And then when both of your arms start to relax, let go. 
commit to date night. A lot of couples are doing date nights and a lot of couples are not, but the ones doing date nights are having more fun. So I highly recommend it. And the ideas are endless for date nights. I just saw an idea on YouTube where the couple goes into, let's say Walmart and the man walks down the ice cream aisle and the woman watches him from the edge of the aisle. And when she says, stop, he has to stop and point his finger and whatever he points at, he has to grab it. And that's their dessert. And then they walk down the meat aisle and he tells her to stop and she has to point with her eyes closed when she stops and then grab whatever she's pointing at. And then they go to the aisle with the DVDs to get a movie and same thing. So you take turns, walk, and I tell you to stop and whatever you're pointing at, that's going to be part of our date tonight. And I've had some of my clients try it and they said it's super fun. So that's one idea. But the ideas are endless and I will give you some more ideas as we move forward. Um, Perform a routine clearing with each other. When there's occasional arguments, whining, complaining, demanding verbal jabs in a relationship, and it happens, we're human, right? Each person might be, you know, harboring a little resentment. They might be kind of existing on eggshells. They might be uh, not being able to fully relax in, in the trust and the safety of the relationship. And you need to nip this in the bud immediately. You can't carry it around. You can't hold it inside because that resentment builds up over time and you can kiss your relationship goodbye. So perform a routine clearing and this can be like once a week. Um, you meet up with each other and each person gets 20 minutes to express all their frustrations with the other person but you have to use the I statements and active listening for it to be effective check out my fair fighting rules uh, the worksheet with fair fighting rules gives you everything you need to sit down and have a good discussion and each partner will agree not to make uh, passive aggressive comments or insults at other time during the week right so during the week you might get irritated he left his damn muddy shoes on the on the carpet or she she left her makeup all over the bathroom counter you might have these little complaints throughout the week but you don't say anything then you wait until your meeting on Friday or Saturday whenever you discuss, decide to uh, schedule it and that's when you sit down and you start with hey I noticed this week you kept the front when you did the landscaping in the front yard it was beautiful and you actually mowed the lawn in diagonal lines perfectly it was neat and I, I loved it it just you're so good at that I really appreciate that and I noticed that you're taking out the trash every day for me without me asking and um, I just you know it was so helpful I really appreciated that and here are some things I would like for us to work on. I noticed that you left your muddy shoes on the carpet. That was very frustrating for me. And, um, you know, lead into it. Say it with love and respect. Clear the air. Um, exchange caring requests. This could be part of your weekly meeting, too. Um, a, good, a good request could be, what can I do this week to help you feel more loved, supported, and cared for? And then they ask you the same and you share those things. 
Maybe you want more hugs. Maybe you want to kiss goodbye every day before they leave for work. Whatever it is, it's a good time to make those suggestions. And finally, learn their love language and speak it to them. We're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back. All right, we are back. Now we have here kind of a touchy subject, but a lot of people are experiencing this. So I have a worksheet here. It's 14 steps for the betrayed spouse. And this comes from a website called affairhealing.com. And the person who runs it is Tim Tedder. So this comes from Tim Tedder. And they also have a manual. It's a 196-page book. It's an e-book. It's called After Healing, A Manual for Beloved Betrayed Spouses by Tim Tedder. He's a counselor. So this is a quick summary of that book. So step one, consider your options and schedule your decision. You have to decide on a D-Day, decision day. So it says regarding your marriage, you have three options. You can leave, you can give it some time, or you can stay no matter what. Most betrayed spouses never expect this to happen to them. They never believed they would consider staying after this happened to them, and they are surprised by their own indecision. It is a tough decision. This is somebody that you loved, trusted, thought everything was okay with, and then you have been horribly betrayed, okay? So it's, you're stuck like a deer in the headlights. It's almost that fight, flight, or freeze thing. So to consider remaining with a cheating spouse might seem like you're weak, but you're not. Whether you stay or go, your decision can be motivated by confident strength, not fear. In the middle of the emotional upheaval you're experiencing right now, it's difficult to have a clear and healthy perspective. So put off permanent choices for a while. Attend to the more immediate choices, such as setting boundaries and building yourself back up before you make a big decision but give yourself a timeline you know tell yourself in three months or six months I will make my final decision based on what I observe step two make very careful choices regarding the affair partner you're gonna have to make some decisions regarding your spouse's affair partner and yes you should insist on knowing who it who it was There are some exceptions to each of the following principles, but they are rare. So his general advice is never contact the affair partner for retribution, sometimes for information if you suspect your spouse is lying or that the affair partner may not know about your marriage, usually not after your spouse has confessed and disconnected. That's not a good time to contact them. So contact them right away if you feel like you need information from them. I don't recommend getting all the details of the sexual acts because all you're going to do is put images in your mind that will haunt you for all eternity. If you're trying to work it out, you don't want those images in your brain. Should your spouse contact the affair partner? If there has been no closure to the affair, you may want to give opportunity for this to happen, but in a way that allows you to feel safe. 
moved to quick closure and then no contact from that point on. Should you tell your tell your spouse's affair partner? Should you tell the affair partner's spouse? Okay, sorry, I mixed that up. Should you tell the affair partner's spouse or partner? Okay, this is something to think about because this will change someone else's life. And yes, your life has been turned upside down, but you don't want to make this about revenge or justice. So you need to ask yourself, if you were in their situation, would you want somebody to tell you? It could break up their family if they have small children. If they, And chances are if this person cheated on their spouse with your spouse, they will hang themselves in the future by cheating with somebody else. So it's not necessarily your job to drive the karma bus, the karma bus up to their front door. Um, step three, release your grip on a wayward spouse. When we think we're losing something valuable, our instinct is to grab a hold of it tightly. And while that might work to keep other objects from slipping away, it usually produces an opposite effect in relationships. People resist control. Persistence causes resistance. So if you're following this person around, love me, love me, please don't leave me, it's um, just going to push them further away. And if your unfaithful spouse is not expressing sincere commitment to you in the marriage, if this person is still in contact with the affair partner, if this person is confused by what they want, if they say you love, they love you but they're not in love with you, you probably need to let them go. And I know this is a scary choice, but if you attempt to keep your spouse by trapping them back into the marriage, you're likely to prolong a season of misery and you will experience future betrayals. Step four, establish your boundaries. Sexual boundaries. For some betrayed spouses, the discovery of an affair shuts down any interest in sexual intimacy. For others, the desire for a sexual connection becomes nearly irresistible. So unless you're certain that your spouse is no longer involved with the affair partner, you need to create physical distance. Don't share your spouse with anyone and make sure they get an STD check. Um, relationship boundaries. You will likely spend some time trying to work through relationship issues with your spouse, but you should eventually stop all relationship conversations or connections if the other person fails to express two things. One, single-minded in choices for you in the marriage. No confusion remains. Or two, will do the work necessary to repair and strengthen that relationship. If your spouse cannot commit to both, then keep your interactions limited to business of life issues such as caring for the children, paying bills, home care, stuff like that. So your partner has to has to be tunnel focused on working on that marriage and being committed to you with no confusion. And they have to do the work necessary to strengthen the relationship. If they can't commit, then don't hold them too close. Step five, hold your, uh, help your spouse understand your pain. This is difficult because oftentimes when you've been betrayed, the spouse or the partner has no empathy. They're angry they got caught. 
Um, they'll blame you. They'll refuse to talk about it. And they will step over you literally while you're in a fetal position on the floor crying and broken. They'll step right over you and go to bed and sleep like a baby. So, sadly, this happens a lot. Your spouse may be so focused on their own issues, they give very little attention to your pain. They will likely struggle with being exposed because it triggers feelings of shame. And they may withdraw and get angry because when you feel shameful, that's icky, so you turn it into anger. Your spouse needs to have some insight into your pain. It's important for your healing, but it's also important for theirs. So at first, you may have little control over how the pain flows because remember, you are immediately thrown into the stages of grief. And the shock doesn't last long before it turns into rage and pain. And eventually you can be more intentional in inviting your spouse to come and examine your pain with you. Um, look for opportunities to write and say and do those things that will help your partner view your hurt in a different way. I highly recommend the 180 method and that is where... You do the opposite of what comes natural. Your spouse cheated on you. You want them to know how bad you feel. No, do the opposite. Go find something to occupy yourself with. Make yourself feel better. And don't try to talk to them about your pain right away. Let, let the dust settle. Let the emotions calm down. Let, let you get yourself into wise mind before you start traveling down that road because it is a slippery slope. Step six, decide who else to tell and what you want to tell them. The question of who to talk to about the affair and how much to reveal can be quite complicated. The manual provides more detail regarding the various issues to consider. But let's point out that as you consider your conversations with various people, trusted confidants, family, friends, your children, your spouse's co-workers, or affair partners the affair partner of the spouse or their spouse. Realize that the current phase of the affair should have some bearing on what you decide. So consider the following affair phases. Discovery, the first two weeks of knowing about the, f the affair. Active, the spouse remains involved with the affair relationship. Transition, the period of change from having contact with the affair partner to ending the affair and termination. The affair ends. Generally, show more caution in talking about the affair if it is in the discovery or termination phase, but if an affair remains active or in transition for a long time, you may need to consider more options, such as going to therapy. Uh, step seven, recognize truth shifting. Most of the time, the betraying spouse at the moment of discovery, will experience a desperate longing for truth. In an instant, well-established perspective of your partner and marriage, it is all now called into question. You've been left to wonder what you can and can't believe. Is the whole relationship a lie? Did they mean anything they ever said to me? You need to make sense of all this, but the manner in which you seek understanding is very important. Your pursuit of the facts should be done in a way that leads toward clarity rather than confusion, conflict, and obsession. 
Step eight, get the truth carefully, but certainly. If I could rush into every affair discovery and immediately control one part of it, it would be this. Make sure necessary questions are asked and answered, while unnecessary questions are ignored. The problem is every question you have seems important and necessary right now, and that's understandable. But some answers will end up hurting you more than they help. You need to know who the person is they had an affair with, how far did it go, is it over, has this affair produced anything that you'll have to deal with in the future, such as financial problems, business arrangements, a pregnancy, legal problems, what do you want now, what does your partner want now, has your partner been tested for STDs, that's it, all the other details times, places, sexual details. Don't, don't ask those questions. That's not necessary. It will haunt you for all eternity. Step nine, determine who you will become with or without your marriage. You've got to have a plan B. So you've decided, okay, I've been betrayed by this person, but I love him or her. So I'm staying. I'm going to try to work it out. That's cool. But you need to have a plan B in case it doesn't work out. Because what if they do it again? Or what if they're not being completely honest with you now? What if they're in love with the other person? How, how will you handle that? You've got to have a plan B. So your plan B means excellent self-care. Planning two futures. One with your spouse and one alone. That way, if the relationship doesn't work and you've given it your all you can jump to plan B and move forward and you have a plan in motion so you don't get stuck and say oh god I don't know what to do with myself um step 10 move intentionally toward forgiveness but very cautiously toward trust so we forgive not for us or not for them but for us right we forgive so that we can release the pain and the anger in our hearts and it doesn't make what they did okay. And it doesn't let them off the hook. But it lets us off the hook from all of the um, mental, spiritual, and physical ailments that holding on to anger can cause. And then you cautiously move toward trust. Your spouse needs to be 100% committed to being honest. And it's going to take you some time to learn how to trust your spouse again. Your, tr your, your spouse has to be completely transparent, no password protected phones, you need all access to social media, GPS location, history, all of that. They need to be an open book with you so that you can play detective and confirm all of their stories until you get to the point where you feel like it's okay to trust them again and you don't want to do those things anymore. But they have to be willing to go through that, being under the microscope constantly, if they're willing to work on it. Step 11, regain control of your thoughts and feelings. You're going to have post-traumatic stress disorder type symptoms for days or weeks following the trauma of the affair discovery. Um, for some people, these conditions will linger and result in a sense of being stuck. Um, 
there's a lot of strategies you can use, but therapy is really number one. And the next time you begin to experience a familiar anxiety, don't try to suppress it. Use mindfulness. Meet it head on. Face your demons. Um, step 12, find the support you need. Get a therapist. Have a trusted friend. Talk to your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother. Somebody that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you can trust and they will not judge you. Step 13, know which direction to move in. You feel disappointed, hurt, and defensive. You probably want to move in other directions. If you're like most people, you either move away physically or emotionally shut down. Um, make sure make sure that the relationship begins to change when each partner turns their focus away from the faults of their partner and give attention instead to the ways they fail to move toward each other. Change will start with you. So you're going to have all those terrible feelings, but you have to know that throwing those feelings at the partner who betrayed you repeatedly will not be helpful. So if you're, if you're working on making this work, you want to forgive, you want to move forward and put this behind you, when you decide to forgive them, that also gets rid of all that resentment. You can't be hostile towards them because that will just push them away again. Commit to conversations that connect. Seek connection more than being right. Before you engage in a conversation, be honest about your end goal. Is it primarily to convince your spouse to get your way, or is it more important for you to be connected, even if you cannot come to a mutual agreement? Start the conversation in a way that is inviting rather than confrontational. Avoid inflammatory statements. If your first words or actions are the ones that evoke defensiveness, you're better off backing off and trying again later. And focus on being curious about your partner's point of view, even if you disagree, rather than convincing them that you are right. And it's important with communication to understand if you're passive-aggressive, assertive, or passive. So when somebody's passive, it's poor eye contact. They let others infringe on all of their rights and trample their boundaries. They're very softly spoken, and they allow other people to take advantage of them. Their needs rarely get met. They're like a doormat. The aggressive person is a bully. They criticize, humiliate, and dominate. They overtalk. They get easily frustrated. Um, they frequently interrupt and they fail to listen. They have no active listening skills. That's the type of person that within five seconds, you are pissed. You feel your blood pressure rise and all you want to do is get away from them because they're bullies and they're irritating. And then the assertive person is kind, clear, and direct. They will listen to you without interrupting. They clearly state their needs and wants with I statements. They stand up for their personal rights and boundaries by reinforcing them with I statements. They make good eye contact. They're confident. And then there's the passive-aggressive person who poor eye contact but says little jabs, you know? Like, oh, like there's a, that picture on social media with Jesus carrying a cross and it says, no, never mind, I'll carry it myself. <laughs> passive-aggressive people are like that.
So you don't want to be passive aggressive because it's usually met with disgust by others. And being a bully does not get you the respect that you want. So work on being assertive when you communicate. Let's take a quick break. All right, thank you for hanging in there so far. So I'm going to give you a couple more tools here. Hindsight bias. Hindsight bias is a type of memory distortion. It's the tendency to look back and see events that have already occurred as having been more predictable than was actually the case, right? Hindsight bias makes us think that we knew something at the time, even if the evidence indicates we did not. This leads us to think we made a bad decision and it can result in strong feelings uh, such as guilt or shame. So in terms of somebody had an affair, you might look back and say, oh my God, I knew it. I knew something was wrong. He stopped talking to me. He never texts me back when I text him. Even when I told him I loved him, he responded with stuff like, thank you, or he didn't respond at all. I just knew in my heart he was cheating on me, but he said he wasn't. Okay, there's no evidence that if you go back in time to that time period and be honest with yourself, you did not know for a fact he was having an affair. You suspected maybe that might be a reason why he was pulling away from you. You also took his word when he said it had nothing to do with that and he was not having an affair, that he was just going through some stuff emotionally or that he was suffering from erectile dysfunction or that she was having memories pop up of a childhood trauma and it's caused her to shut down. There's all all kinds of stuff that was in play at the time and you had you may have suspected there was a betrayal but you had no proof and you gave them the benefit of the doubt and now today that you find out there was an affair you're like I knew it no you didn't (laughs) so hindsight bias is kind of funny that way people tend to make what they think is the best decision given with what they know at the time So there are different things going on at the time of the event that, like I just explained, you listen to what the other person is telling you, you listen to your friends when they say, oh, no way, he or she loves you, it's got to be something else. You think, is it a medical issue? It's got to be my fault somehow, how do I fix this? So you do the best you can in the moment. Hindsight bias is the tendency to look back, knowing what happened, and to think we saw the actual outcome as more likely than we actually did when we made the decision. At the time we make a decision, we can never really know for certain what the outcome will be, and if the actual outcome is undesirable and hindsight bias makes us think we knew what would happen, we can be left feeling horrible. So remember, you know, like I say all the time, present that evidence to Judge Judy in your brain. And if there's not absolute evidence, then throw it out. Hindsight bias will mess you up. 
So look back for the lesson. Yes. Look back and say, you know, I felt that spiritual, emotional, and physical wall go up. And I felt alone. And I felt rejected. And go by what you were feeling. And in the future, when something like that comes up again, rather than waiting around and saying, oh boy, you know, make sure it's not a medical issue. Take them to the doctor. Something wrong with this person. Okay, no. All right. Um, Ask them directly, are you having an affair? Of course, they'll say no. Some people do confess, but that's rare. But um, at that time, if you're feeling that horrible and they're not giving you a decent answer tell them let's separate for a while until you figure out your stuff and I'll work on my stuff don't get caught up in it again so hindsight bias is a memory distortion the tendency to look back and see events that already occurred as having been more predictable than they actually were it leads you to blame yourself for events which were not predicted or predictable And a fair standard to judge our decisions by is, what did you know at the time? The courts will use this standard to judge people's responsibility for events. How can you hold somebody responsible for something they did not know? So this is an exercise in forgiving yourself. If we can't forgive ourselves and knock out that hindsight bias, we hold that unforgiveness in our heart for ourselves which causes toxic shame which also can ruin relationships so keep that in mind relationship growth activity so you have forgiven you have checked your own toxic shame and hindsight bias you've worked through your partner's committing 100% and being transparent So now it's time to do the fun stuff. What was your partner's favorite TV show when they were a kid? Where would your partner most like to visit on vacation? What song is your partner really, really into right now? Are there any movies your partner is excited to see? Has your partner ever read a book that had a major impact on their life? So it's time to get to know each other again. Um... Prior to the affair, to the affair, and then the affair discovery, and the termination of the affair, and then the two of you come out of that dark tunnel, you are now two changed and different people, and it's time to get to know each other all over again, with a clean slate, forgiveness, and cautiously trusting. Right. So, find out all these things about your partner. If you would like this worksheet, I can definitely send it to you. Um, When did your partner realize they were interested in you? What made them fall in love with you? What motivates them to continue to work on the relationship? When was the moment your partner felt happy about the relationship again? And what is your partner's favorite thing to do, place to go as a couple? How does your partner hope to change over the next 5, 10, 20 years? What are three realistic goals that your partner has for their life? Talk about hopes and dreams. What are five things you would put on your bucket list? What's something that you like about your job? 
what's something you dislike ask those questions back and forth um when in you or your partner's life did you feel the most afraid overall how how has your partner or you been feeling during the past week do you and your partner see yourselves as happy people and if not how do you see yourself and what is something that can consistently make you and your partner happy what will you accept in the marriage what will you not you have to draw new boundaries um And then you want to think about your partner's qualities. What are their positive qualities? What's a favorite memory you have with them? How do they show you appreciation? Why do you value them so much? So this is part one of rebuilding relationships after an affair. And I will be going into part two with material from Trish Fitzgibbon Anderson. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And from Love Languages, from Gary Chapman, from his Love Languages book. And also the Gottman Institute's Eight Dates. So come right back for episode two of Healing a Relationship. Thank you for tuning in.